Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. How is everybody? It's good to be here. We're excited to see everybody. Oh, that's a little clearer. So you guys will see that there was a a booklet that was handed out. Uh, We will be referring to this later on. I've been informed that some people are booklet flippers that do that as you go through other teaching, but I'm fine if you're a booklet flipper. It's yours as we go through that. Uh, You can as well. Uh, But I will reference when we're actually going through some of the steps that are in here. This is just a resource for you guys to take away that we believe will be beneficial to help you as you get into reading the Bible, as you're asking questions about it, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Shelby, who are we? (laughs) Why do we love the Bible? Um, Well, um, I think the learning to love the Bible is a journey. And so mine probably really started... Um, when we got married, and uh, we decided, Brad had always had this dream of his to, um, we, we come from YWAM-ish, not YWAM-ish, we, <laughs> we're YWAMers, that's we're what she's YWAMers. trying to say, Youth yeah. with a Mission, Youth with a, a, with a Nation, it's a, it's a youth organization that goes around the world and does missional work and, and has a school and all that kinds of stuff, and so we did that right out of high school, um, and they have a school of biblical studies that they put together in different campuses around the world, and it was a dream of Brad's to do that. And he's actually a history major, uh, is a teacher. He loves this, like, studious, let's research, let's dig deep into different writings, not just the Bible. And so it was always a passion of his to go back to Bible school and, and do it with YWAM. And when we got married and he started talking about this, I was like, cool. Like, uh, I don't know where that really leaves me. Like, I'm not really the teacher type, and I'm not really the studious type, and I would like to watch the movie. Uh, If you could put the Bible in a movie, that would be awesome. Coles notes it to me. Great. Um, And so I actually was really challenged by this idea, could we do this together? And I know there was a few people in my life that, like, knew that about me and was like, you just go, because we were going to do it in Hawaii. Just go sit on the beach in Hawaii, enjoy, let Brad do the studying. I was like, that sounds so nice. But just inside of me, I felt like God was calling me to more and that I needed to challenge myself. And it was a huge growth and turning point for both of us. Um, and it just uh, gave us some really great tools and made the Bible really tangible using these tools to be able to read it, wrestle with it, dissect some of it, apply it to our life, and, and live that out and let it transform our world. And so that's where our knowledge kind of started and got inspired and is continued from there. Yeah, so we're excited to teach the Bible. Before yeah. we get into it, I just want to say we are going to have a little question period at the end, and how we're going to approach that is you're going to text your answers to Pastor Stephen. Do we have that number for the board, or am I just speaking it out? If anybody, this is your moment. You can always contact Pastor Stephen (laughs) after this. Now you have text message opportunity, (laughs) also phone call opportunity. (laughs) So it's up. He may need to get a second number, but that's okay. Just remember to tell the church that you changed your number. All right, so that's the number to text anything into that you would um, like to. Maybe it's something as we're going through it. Maybe it's something that just comes up at the end. But to do that, we're going to start with what is the Bible? Yes, and you would have received this on your way in as well. Um, I talked talked about about that. that. Yeah, doubling down. Okay, cool. We're going to start. So what is the Bible? Did you guys know... That over 100 million copies of the Bible are sold each year. It's known as the best-selling book in history. And I've heard the most stolen book in history. With over 5 billion copies sold in history. 5 billion. 5 billion. And those copies are all in different languages, not just English. So you have a Bible that's been translated fully in 700-plus languages, and even partial parts of it being translated in over 3,000 languages. 
Yeah, and we also know that the Bible took place over 1,500 years. It's estimated around 1450 BC. We hear about the story of Moses and his time period. He begins um, putting some of the stories of God into writing all the way up to 100 AD after the time period of Jesus. We have parts of the Bible. That's right. And these people that wrote the Bible in that span of time were all inspired by the Holy Spirit. There were 40 of them, and they came from all different walks of life. They were shepherds, they were fishermen, they were tent makers, physicians, kings, philosophers, all sorts of different types of authors. Yeah, and we know that the Bible is actually written in three languages. So we have Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Bible is composed of 66 different books. You have 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. And 1,189 chapters. That's a lot of what chapters. What a number. If you were to do that in a one chapter day, take you three years. Serena's doing it in a month, so yes. what chapter are you on? Yeah, Look at that, you, powering through. So 562, good. I think that is. Um, if you wanted to know if the Bible had a center chapter, it does. It, if you're looking for it, it's in Psalms. It's chapter 118, and you have 594 chapters before it and 594 chapters after it. And then in the, the middle of that, you got Psalm 118, verse 8. I'm going to read that verse to you. It says... It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Look at that little nugget that God just slips in there in the middle of the Bible. Right in the middle. It's awesome. He's so good. He's very um, conscious. Intentional. Intentional. Um, the shortest chapter in the Bible, you can find it right before the center chapter. It's Psalms 117. And then the longest chapter in the Bible, you'll find it right after the center chapter in Psalms 119. So there's some fascinating things about the Bible. God obviously loved numbers. There's intention behind how the Bible was compiled, how it was put together. And we're just going to show a short video, so we're going to get that ready. That's going to go a little bit more into how was the Bible put together and what does that look like. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling. And they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all 
builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff, was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. Okay, so that video is actually put together by a group called The Bible Project. We've also put it in your booklets as a resource. We think they do a lot of really good videos that help bring in some of the background of different books, like this video, how the Bible was compiled, some topical things they touch base on as well. So you can check out more from them as well. That's right. And I think the more that we find out about the Bible, the more fascinating it actually becomes to us. And I truly believe that this thing that we call the Bible, this book, is not just a good book, but it has the power to transform people's lives. And so in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, we actually see Paul um, confirming that for us. And he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, which is you and I, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I think this is pretty fascinating, that the Holy Spirit would weave together all of these different authors, all of these different languages, and the span of 1,000 to 1,500 years to create one really cohesive and united book. It's really valuable to read because it's one of the only books that is alive and interacts with us as its readers. Because, like Paul was saying, it teaches us. It teaches us the character of God. It also corrects us when we come out of alignment with that. And it really trains us to how to live in his righteousness instead of in our own self-righteousness. And for this purpose, it equips us as his people to live out the lives that he's called us to live. And we believe that the Bible, when we trust um, in the Holy Spirit, that he was the one and he is the one that reveals Christ to us as we read it, that he will also reveal to everyone who reads it that um, how they can come into right relationship with Jesus Christ and how they can come into right relationship with the world around them as well. So the next question is, is how do we get started? And so we want to help you walk through just some practical things that you could apply. And so we're going to talk about how do we get started in getting into the Bible for ourselves and come back to that idea that the Bible has the power and the ability to transform our lives. The challenge for us is how do we apply that so that we actually see that happen in our life. And so tonight we're going to talk about why biblical context matters, how you ask good questions that will 
um, lead you to deeper analysis and getting deeper meaning out of the text? And then how do you take those things that you're reading, that you're coming across in the Bible, and actually apply them to your life? In James 1.22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We believe the, the Bible is clear and that it's not just about a book to be read and obtain knowledge and have that knowledge, but actually to be lived out through our life. Yeah. And so just something about myself, I love reading books. Does anybody out there love reading novels, books, can get into a good novel and it can take over? I'm one of those people, though, if someone said, hop into the middle of that novel, don't worry about what happens at the start, and then just go to the last page because the ending is amazing. That, that would drive me crazy that I would actually be like, what do you mean? I want to know who the characters are. I want to know what's set up. I want to know how the plot shifts and builds. But the reality is so many times with the Bible, we actually just jump in with all these different verses. And many times we get to a point where we start getting confused. We read one verse over here and one verse over there. And we start to say like, wait, do those verses contradict each other? Wait, I thought in somewhere else in the Bible is talking about this. And we can quickly get confused because we lose the message of the story. As the video had showed, there, there is a larger narrative at play. But also within each book of the Bible, there's an author with an intended audience in mind. And he's writing to that audience or sh and sharing something intentional for them. And so if we lose sight of that, we can actually lose sight of some of the meaning or some of the intention behind what God is speaking through his word and, and how that was put together. So just like any other book, the Bible was um, intended to be read in proper context. It was intended to be seen as a whole, especially each book of the Bible, but then seeing how those books fit within the larger narrative of God's story. That's right. So one important key to remember when you're approaching the Bible is that it wasn't written to us. What? Wait. No, but it was written for us. I guess we could all relate to that, that if we're thinking about these biblical stories, we would connect with, we weren't actually living in those time periods when Moses was around, when Jesus was around, that there actually was people living during the time period of these stories. There was authors writing about these people, knowing that someone in their lifetime would be reading these stories. And we can separate ourselves from realizing that wasn't us. We weren't living in that time period. But also recognize that there's something within the messages of these stories. There's principles. There's God's truth that we can pull out of these stories that we can actually apply to our life today. So we're going to be talking about a few different things that we had said on context, and we're going to break down context into two different types of context. That's right. So you have your literary context, which talks about the book and how to read the book, and then you have a historical context. So just to go a little bit more into literary context, we're talking about you come across a passage in Scripture, and maybe it speaks to you, maybe it's challenging you, to actually take a moment to think about what are the verses that come before that passage and what are the verses that come after that. Also, when reading through a book and something speaking to us, think about what the main message of that book might be. That will help you highlight and see what the author's intended meaning is um, for that text of what you're reading. And then also look about if you're reading something and it's on a specific topic, look to see where in other places of the Bible it also talks about that same topic, and that will help you to interpret it. That's right. And then for historical context, context, we're really talking about what's the background, what's the culture that this book is taking place in, as well as who is the author and who is his intended readers, what are their issues, what are their weaknesses, what are their strengths, and um, through that main message that that author is writing, we can really help to see what it is that they're intending to speak to this audience. Yeah, so we want to jump into a book and kind of give you an example of how to do this, so that there's something practical that you can take away from tonight. So we're going to be reading from Jonah, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're also going to be now referencing these booklets that we've given to you guys. Um, the first two pages are going to talk about the idea of laying the groundwork and reading through something, discovering the book, going through certain steps that we'll talk about, and then talking about context. So we've covered those things. And then it goes into how do you kind of apply these steps? So observation, interpretation, and application. So you can reference those as well uh, as we go through it. But it's more of a resource for you later to come back to if you're thinking, how do I apply what you were talking about tonight? How can I actually go back to that? You had talked about all this stuff, but I forgot it. Yeah. We tried to make it as simple as possible as just a resource that's just some practical things that you could come back to to help guide you through that. So Great. we're going to be reading from Jonah chapter 1, if we can get that three verses up on the screen. That's right. This was a, uh, an aha moment for me when we actually got to go through Jonah. So I hope it's an aha moment for you guys tonight as well. 
So in Jonah chapter 1, it starts out by saying, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so we're just going to stop here in these first three verses. In your booklet, you'll see there's observations you can think about. Who is in the story? Um, what is it talking about? Where is the location of this? And we're going to take a really simple observation. We're just going to focus in on the where. You may have noticed that there was three different cities that were talked about. We had Nineveh, we had Joppa, we had Tarshish. Looking at this story, we could think about where was Jonah called to go? You can respond in this moment. Nineveh. Nineveh that's right. Where did he actually decide to go? Tarshish. So just from our observations, we could see, okay, God's telling him to go somewhere, but he's actually choosing to go somewhere else. Now, that's an observation, and for you, that you might think of like, well, why is that significant? Why does that matter? Where are these locations? And those would be all good questions that would help you take an observation and actually go to a deeper meaning with it. It actually is where you begin to wrestle with the text. It's where you begin to interpret, is there something more here that I'm missing? Why is Jonah, this prophet, this model of how to speak about God to others, not actually listening to what God's calling him to do, not listening to what God's telling him to do? So I just want to bring in a little bit more historical context. We can see from this passage, the literary context is being able to observe um, the story of, of who is involved in this and where it's taking place. And we could also see other references from other passages of the Bible that talk about Jonah to have a little bit more understanding of, of who Jonah is um, and that aspect of things. For the historical context, we want to talk about what is this place, Nineveh, and maybe where is Tarshish geographically located? So first thing I want to do is just bring up this map for you guys to just, for our visual learners, help us to understand this. So uh, Jonah was a little bit east of where Joppa is there, where um, he was in Israel, but Joppa is the seaport that he goes to. And so God's calling him to go to Nineveh, and just to give you the scale of this, that's about 550 miles away, but he decides to go to Tarshish. A little bit further away, 2,500 miles, and one could say in the opposite direction. Now, I just want to give you a tool of, of how you could take this and go a little bit further with it. A Bible dictionary is something that gives you some background information, not just on words. So not just if you looked up Jonah and you're like, oh, explains who Jonah is. It actually goes through um, each book of the Bible. There's different types of Bible dictionaries, but a more in-depth one. You could look up the book of Jonah. It's going to give you the date that historians believe that it was written, who they believe the author was and why, the context behind the story, historically what's taking place. And so here's just an example of one Bible dictionary. I know it looks really heavy, like a big Bible, like the old school Bibles. But in there, there's a lot of good information that can just help you along in your journey. And so when I go to look up um, the story of Jonah, and it talks about content here, right at the beginning of the section on content um, about the book of Jonah, it talks about this um, place of Tarshish. And it's explaining it, and actually explains it as a Phoenician colony in the furthest known location in the world at this time. So even that little bit of evidence shows us, okay, from this picture we can see he's going in the opposite direction. But he's actually choosing a place that's the furthest known location to him. So it's not a matter of like just not going where God's calling to going. It's going in the opposite direction as far away as possible as he can go. And so as we interpret this, we could start thinking about like, okay, why, why would he be doing this? But it would help if we had a little bit of information of why is he not wanting to go to this place, Nineveh? What's so bad with Nineveh? To understand what's happening in his own nation, Israel at this time is not following God. They're very selfish. They're very prideful. As a result of this, they're politically weak and they're militarily weak. There's nothing that they can do in their own strength to protect themselves. On the flip side, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, the superpower of this time period. And Assyria focuses on their military strength and is actually a nation that's been conquering different people groups all around the region here. And they actually come up onto the border of where Israel and Judah are at this time period. But historically, we see something really fascinating that happens that 
Assyria, known as this military power, who actually worships the god Asher, which is the god of war, so their very form of worship for them was to be violent people, actually get to the border of Israel, and we see in their history of one of the, in their record, one of their most violent periods of successful warfare, they immediately stop, and nothing's in the record, and historians are baffled by why did they stop attacking? Nothing physically stopped them. No military force, nothing that was happening. They just stopped attacking. It's, it's a really weird thing that happened. But furthermore, these people were people that didn't just believe in defeating their enemies, but humiliating their enemies. So they would actually flay, which meant skin people alive, and impale. So they would put people on a wooden stake and allow the gravity and the body weight of that person to go down that pole until it crushed or went through their major organs. And they would actually line up streets entering cities and places they conquered, having people impaled as a sign. If you rebel against us or you think that you can stop our military might, this is what's going to be what happens to you. So I, I add a little bit of that context. That stuff you could find in a Bible dictionary or a little bit of background information. What I'm trying to encourage you to think about in this moment is there might be something that stands out to you and to think about wrestling with that through the week and we want to give you some resources like bible dictionaries we had talked about the bible project as somewhere you can go to say hey could i learn a little bit more about this and can i take the week to kind of wrestle with this idea that i'm thinking about and ask good questions in doing that for this first verse we would be able to take a timeless truth which means something that was true for the time period of jonah but is also true for our our time period today it's timeless and we could say that when we um, choose, how did I, I'll just, I'll read it. So when we don't trust God, we turn our backs on what he is asking us to do. We, um, we could see that in Jonah's story, that when we, we turn, when he turns his back on God and decides to do something else, he's not actually trusting the bigger picture of what God's trying to do. When we hear God speaking something to us and we decide not to do it, we're actually turning our backs on God as well. A practical application that we could take to this is the next time we get an opportunity to trust God, we actually follow through and listen to what he's calling us to do or what he's, he's speaking to us. The incredible thing about this story is we actually see that Jonah gets that opportunity. Yes, Jonah decides to flee and go to Tarshish, that he has the best intentions to get there, but this is the part of the story that you're probably familiar with. He gets on a boat, a storm happens, they decide to throw him overboard, and he gets eaten by a... A fish. Some people think it's a whale, potentially, because that's the only recorded cases of someone actually being eaten by a whale that we have for evidence. But yes, he gets eaten by a fish. We know that part of the story. We likely also have pulled out or heard that there's a lesson in here about obedience and disobedience. We see that Jonah's disobedient originally, and then he becomes obedient. And we see in chapter 3, verse 1, I'm just going to give you a quick recap of the story, and then we're going to touch on one more observation in chapter 3, verse 1, Jonah gets a second opportunity. After he gets spit out of this fish and realizes he's still alive, chapter 2 is this encounter with Jonah uh, in the belly of the fish. And he gets a second opportunity and, says, and God says again, go and, and speak the words that I tell you to speak to the people of Nineveh. He goes there. The words that come out in the text that we hear is, um, repent or in 40 days you'll be destroyed. Miraculously enough, the people, the king, hears this and actually chooses to turn away from their violence. The text itself says they turn away from their violent ways um, and stop doing that, and God forgives them. What an incredible part of the story, right? Forgiveness. The challenging thing for us is this isn't really the lesson that's learned from this book. After we get through chapter three and we see this incredible thing happen, we actually see Jonah evangelizing and turning these people to God, right? Does anybody know this story? Does that happen? Jonah doesn't stay in the city. Jonah actually leaves the city. He shares this message. The people repent. Change is happening. He has an opportunity to tell them about God. He actually leaves the city and has his own little pity party. A tree grows to shade him, and he's loving it, and then the tree dies, and he curses God. He actually says when he leaves the city, kill me now. There's no reason for me to be living. And we read the story and have that observation. We might be like, okay, Jonah, what's going on? A great thing just happened here. God saved these people. This should be something to celebrate. But Jonah's saying, no, that's, that's not something I'm going to celebrate. God, have you forgot? These are my enemies. Have you forgot? These are the people impaling people, flaying people, destroying people's lives. This is a wicked pagan nation. This is our greatest enemy. 
God, how could you forgive those people? But to show the difference of our human perspective of how we approach things and God's perspective, the second observation we're going to go into to kind of show you how we can walk through this is in Jonah 4, verse chapter 2, or chapter 4, verse 2. Good. I just, I think I could sit and listen to him talk about historical background for a long time. And not just because you're my husband, but because you, it's fascinating to me how you can condense all this information and, and make it fun to listen to. Okay, so Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, it says, he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, it is not this is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Okay, so in this verse, if you're following along, you can see that he's saying, Oh Lord, is not this why I said I... Uh, is this not what I said while I was still in my it's own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish. So we actually get the explanation, the literary context for our first observation. Okay, yeah. why did he go to Tarshish instead of wanting to go to Nineveh? We see it here in the literary context. He's saying, I know you're a gracious God. I know that you forgive people. So why would this be a bad thing to Jonah? Once we bring a little bit of that historical context in and we see who these people are, and that Jonah, as well as the Israelites, seeing this pagan nation, seeing the way that they treated other people, seeing that they were their greatest enemy, would not have wanted God to forgive them, would have actually thought they were not deserving of God's forgiveness, of God's mercy, of God's love. But we see an incredible thing here with what God decides to do. The observation we could take out of this is the character qualities of God or the character traits of God. We see in the verse that it's talking about God being merciful, being slow to anger, being gracious, and being steadfast in love. So we could observe, here's the character qualities of God. And we could begin, as we interpret this, why would this matter? Why is this significant? And as we begin to ask that question and wrestle with it of like, okay, I see he wanted to go somewhere else. He was disobedient. God, you were doing this, but why does this matter? And I would hope as we wrestle with this that we include the Holy Spirit in our scripture reading, because the Holy Spirit's the one that speaks to us and highlights things through the scripture and allows God to speak to us through this journey. And I know for me, one of the things that God spoke to me in this is he was showing me the contrast between the way that humanity and us as humans do things and the way that God sees things and does things. That in Jonah's life, he saw it as, God, if you're going to destroy those people in 40 days and they're our greatest enemy, awesome, do it, destroy them. They deserve to die. Under their own Jewish law, their actions and practices deserve death. So he's like, that's justified, do that. But when we see God's perspective, and at the end of this, when him and Jonah are in this dialogue, God actually says, I not only care about these people, I care about every animal. It actually ends on a question, getting Jonah to think about the things that God cares about in contrast to what Jonah cares about. And we actually see that he's showing this contrast in such a way that Jonah's priorities, our human priorities, are much less than God's priorities. That what Jonah wanted to see as a military victory to defeat their greatest enemy, God used an act of love to stop their greatest enemy from destroying them in this time period. We see a, a contrast between, again, God's ways and man's ways. And so a timeless truth that we could pull out of this is that, um, let's move on to it. God's grace, love, and mercy is for all people. A way that we could apply this to our life is thinking about how would I show someone love that I view as unlovable? How would I treat and love someone that I don't think is deserving of God's love? Now you might think, well, I would never do something like that. There's people that are in need. There's my friends. I love them. But who is someone in the world who is something that's taking place that you fully disagree with. And if God said, go share my love with that person, you're like, that person will never listen. God, you want me to go talk to ISIS? Like, they would probably kill me because I'm a Christian. That's foolish. Why would I even think about doing that? But that's the context of what God was asking Jonah to do in this situation. And so as, as we take that observation, as we think about it, what I want you guys to get out of tonight is the Holy Spirit helps highlight some things. And if we take the time 
to kind of wrestle with those things, to ask some questions about those things, to go learn and discover a little bit more about the situation, that God continues to speak to us in a way that gives us a deeper meaning. If you came out of this story and were just like, sometimes I'm disobedient and I should be obedient to the things God's calling me, that's great. But I also think as we take some time to wrestle with scripture, we can get to a deeper meaning of understanding. Sometimes the way we do things and we think is best in our mind is different than the way God does things. And if we're willing to step back and allow God to really speak to us and wrestle with some things, we can see things from God's perspective rather than our own perspective. I love that. And it just brings me back to the Bible is a book with transformational power. It has the power to transform the way that we think. It has the power to transform the way that we relate to God, the way we relate to people, and the way that we live our lives in general. And when we think about, well, where do we start this whole Bible journey? Where is a good place to start? And I would encourage you, the best place to start is at the start of a book. It doesn't have to be Genesis, but pick a book that you really want to start in. I would suggest the Gospels, but it's a great place to start and open up, start at the beginning of the book, and start to read and ask some good questions. It's really important for us as believers to create this daily habit of being in the Word because it develops roots that go down deep, and when we're confronted with um, conflicting ideas or even lies or different thoughts on things, we're able to take a stand and we have a foundation um, so that we're not distracted or it not disrupt, we're not being disrupted um, from what God is calling us to and what God is calling us to learn as well. Um, I thought it was fascinating. I did a study a little uh, while ago about how many people actually have a daily reading uh, routine, a daily reading habit. And I think according to the Barna Group it was, they said 14% of all Christians have a daily routine of being in their Bible. And I can relate to that because I think I'm one of the 85% that struggle to read daily as well. And... Um, and it's been a journey. Like we said at the beginning of the, of the time here today, we went to Bible school, and that's where my love really started. But I think I keep momentum by allowing the applications that come from my Bible study to motivate me to continue to get into the Word daily. And so I want to encourage you, take what inspires you to be in the Word. Is it reading it with friends and going through it together with a group? Is it being um, motivated by er your application and actually seeing the fruit of that in your life. Whatever it is, be inspired by it and let it motivate you to continue to get into it day in and day out. So good. Yeah, and as, as Shelby shared in his, her story, um, we all have different experiences with reading, with the Bible. I, as I said earlier, I love getting into the Bible and reading it. It's, it's part of um, something I've done since I was younger and in high school. I always wanted to go through the Bible, and so I started um, daily Bible reading plans to go through the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I also found that there's times where I can get caught up more in the motions of just going through and reading it than actually getting something out of it. And there's, there's times that I also got to reflect on, God, am I just reading this to like check something off on a box to say like I completed this and I did this and I'm not actually um, taking the time to get something out of it and apply it to my life. And so I don't know where you're at in your own journey, but tonight we really want to encourage you, if, if it's starting for the first time, open it up, find some people that can keep you accountable, or if it's you do read it, but you're finding like you, you've hit a wall or you, you want a new breakthrough or to go deeper in it, maybe start applying some of the, the tips that we, we've given or, or in the booklet, the resources, but to reestablish that discipline and to reevaluate how am I approaching the Bible? Am I actually taking that time to allow God to speak to me? Am I actually taking the time to actually read it? Am I prioritizing it to set that time into, into my schedule to see it happen? Because really what we want to come out of tonight is understanding why is it important to live out God's word? We talked about earlier that we believe it's important because it's life transformational. But the reality is we actually need to know what it's saying we actually need to learn how to apply it to our life and live it out for it to be life transformational. But I think it's more than just what we can get out of it. It starts with us having an understanding of what the Bible is saying so that we can grow. But it shouldn't stop there. In order for us to reach other people and to be able to share the gospel message and to know what God's word says and be able to share the character of who God is with others, we need to know the Bible first, but not just so we keep it for ourselves, but that so we can share it with others. 
And so we're hoping that tonight um, sparks a little bit of excitement for that, um, gives you some direction of, of where you can start and what that would look like for you to get started. And I actually think we have three questions, so we can go into that portion of the night as well. Do you want to talk about the... I think pocket? after. Okay. Three questions. Three questions. I'm so excited you guys asked questions, because we weren't yes. sure how that was going to work, yeah. so thank you for doing that. Yes. That was awesome, hey? So far, this is really great. I, I'm loving this. So, actually, it's four questions, and so... Um, if you don't have, like, we're never too proud here at C3. If we don't have the answer, we will say that, but we'll look into it and can follow up with any of these. But I'm sure Brad and Shelby have got it all here. So uh, first question. So are any parts of the Bible written by women? And if not, is there a reason why? Good question. Good question. Great question. <laughs> I think it's a... I do think in the Apocrypha there are some parts of the Bible that are written by women. Um, I'm just trying to think of a text that would have been. Um, so you would have seen in that video that we showed the, I said the Apocrypha, but the Deuterocanical text. Um, you'll see it sometimes in a Bible. Like, what are these, like, stories in between about the Maccabees and Tobit and, like, some other stories? Um, now we kind of view them as more devotional literature. And so there's, the, at the Reformation, you saw in the video, they decided not to include those. Um, I do think a big part is the way society was shaped. When you're looking at a, a patriarchal society, um, historically, where um, the male figure was seen as the predominant person or the accepted voice of receiving through that, um, that that shaped who um, got the educational training in order to do so and who had the resources and backing um, that they viewed to be able to write a piece like that. You could also add to that if... Yeah, I just say, so just to be clear, and many of you guys would realize this, the scriptures that we see as the Old Testament and New Testament, we believe, are the, is the scripture, the Bible, incomplete. But then there are these apocrypha and different literature, because one of the other questions actually mentioned that, okay. which we'll go into. And these are um, ones that were, we see uh, even quoted in the New Testament. The book of Enoch is quoted by some of the New Testament Guys, so I would, and if you want to add to it, that's fine. I would define these as books that influence the readers of the day, but are not scripture in the way that the rest of the Bible is. So Pastor Phil Pringle, one of the leaders of C3 Movement, writes great books. I learn a lot from his books. I get a lot out of his books. I quote his books. They are not on the same level as scripture. That would be what these books for the most part, are. And there was very particular reasons why they didn't get included in the Bible. It wasn't they didn't fit the narrative, they're out. There was validation, there was acceptance in the early church. There was different things like the video reference. But that kind of leads into the, to the next question there. Um, and we want to respect everyone's time. We're still on time at the moment. If at any point you needed to leave, feel free to, to do that. But we're going good here. So the next question, um, let me just load it up here. There's books that weren't included in the Old Testament and New Testament. Is there value in those books? Should we be cautious as Christians with reading them or reading too much into them? Yeah, I would say there's always a caution, and my caution would be to include God, include the Holy Spirit into your reading. I think we can even open the Bible and get very wacky interpretations or thoughts that don't align with other parts of the Bible or what God's trying to say through it. But when we include God in the process, he speaks to us and, and helps us through that journey. And what Pastor Stephen was talking about, giving that reference to Pastor Phil, a lot of um, those stories that were in there were seen as, I said, devotional literature or inspirational literature that um, a lot of those were more, they were known to not be historically accurate stories, but intended um, like parable type stories or allegories that presented a good message through it that would help in your reading, and part of Hebrew and Jewish culture um, had a big part of that, even to uh, the post-Jesus time period and the rabbis as they told stories. Um, now I'm trying to think of what the, the book's called. I think it's called the Midrash. But that, that's part of how they told stories, to teach kids lessons. They would um, take aspects of truth and weave them through a story, and through that story you would get to the, the lesson and the teaching that was practical and um, beneficial for you to live out in your life, but wasn't necessarily historical, didn't necessarily talk about and validate God within that story, but was something beneficial for you to read. Happy with that, Shelby? 
Yeah. Right. I think, can I just add the thing? Because the question I think earlier was like, did any women actually write the Bible? And Brad talked like touched on like it was a, um, a patriarchal like system um, but so saying that there's not an author that was uh, a woman author but the Bible and the books in it were very um, uh, pro-women in that time period yeah. giving them a voice um, giving them a story so even though there weren't um, actual authors who written them that were women um, this was very um, um, What's that word? Anti it's not anti-cultural. Countercultural Counter yeah. um, for women to be profiled in the way that they were profiled throughout the Bible. Yeah, I love that. One of my favorite um, uh, kind of apologetic teachers out there is a guy named William Lane Craig. And one of his examples of validity of the gospel stories, of how we know the story is true, because this leads into another question, is... Um, it's the fact that the first people, the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection was the women. It wasn't men. And if you were going to make up a story in that time, that's not what you would have done because the, um, a, a lady's uh, voice wasn't heard in court. It wasn't verifiable. So if you were going to make up the resurrection, you wouldn't do that. But the Bible's not made up. It's about reporting the truth. And the truth of the story is that God empowers women and, and actually was the first post-resurrection story. So that's why they recorded it. I think that's pretty cool. But that leads into um, our third question here of how can we trust the validity of the Bible? Just some easy ones here for you on the first equipping night, but very important, great questions. Yeah, I think that there's a journey in that too of um, God needing to settle some questions in our heart because we especially when you look at Old Testament, you look at New Testament, you can see things within the Bible that you're like, there's, there's stories of people being killed and it seems like it's happening in the name of God. There's stories of, of slavery um, taking place and things happening. And I do think like we still view it through the light of like there's humans writing, there's, there's their processing of what God's speaking to them um, and how they're figuring that out um, within the Bible. But what we were trying to bring up at the start of the, of the night is when we take the context of the time period and what's happening in the context of the story, and we include the Holy Spirit in the process, a lot of the difficult passages and a lot of the um, things that bring up controversy, I actually believe um, are eliminated and removed when we, we bring those aspects into it. That doesn't mean there's some things that we read the story and we can have different interpretations on it, and it leads to a further dialogue um, and not all the answers are in there, and so we can question some of those aspects of it. And we've always believed as a church that those differences of opinion are welcome. We just ask that people ground what they're saying in the Scripture and, and approach that dialogue, and we hold to the um, keeping the main things, the main things of, of who Jesus is and, and that he came um, as a gift from God, God's Son to give his life as a sacrifice for all of us, and that through Jesus alone is how we get to salvation. But there's a journey of, of things within the Bible that we may read that may be challenging that in order for us to confirm that validity, we need to go to God of, of seeing that part of it. But we do believe that God divinely spoke his words through um, individuals that were these authors in compiling it. I don't know if that fully answers the aspect of it, but I think in order for you come to a, a point, no matter what I say of how it was set up of... Um, the, the process that they went through for vetting it, of recognizing what God did, of bringing historical events in, of all those things, it, it won't prove validity to you if the revelation's not there um, of who God says he is and, and the way that he spoke through individuals to speak his truth within the message of the Bible. Yeah, that's awesome. There's always an element of faith, even yeah. though you can have all the, the things. And so a couple great books I'd recommend is um, Mark Clark's the, Pro the God Problem problem of God. I knew Phoenix has it because it has it on his desk, but he has a chapter on that. It's great. And William Lake Craig, many great resources. Um, if you want to find out more, we'd love to do that. This is just one more, one minute on this question, and then I know you guys have got a bit to finish off, but um, this is the last one. In Jonah 4 verse 2, it says, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Is he quoting Exodus 34 verse 6, and would he known that scripture? Well, he would have known the scripture, for sure, because he was a prophet. Um, is he quoting it? 
I sure. It, so it was written. So exit that would have been written before the time of Jonah. Yes, so Exodus was written by Moses, who was alive before Jonah, and they would have had, I don't know if it would have, they would have had, like, actual scrolls of it, probably. They might have had the stories of it. Um, but, yes, I would say that he would have knowledge of it. Was it a direct quote? I don't know, but it, he says that he knew this about God. So it could be reference of how God has treated him, Jonah, personally, but also a reference of, like, what he's known through his faith. Awesome. You guys are killing it. Keep going here. Great questions, guys. So good. I did, I did want to bring some context. I was thinking someone might bring it up as well, but um, and the Bible dictionaries do a good job talking about it. There's um, discrepancies within the story of Jonah if people think it's historically accurate or not. So I didn't know if that's where part of that story was going. Um, if it was just a parable like we had talked about in those other um, stories. Part of why it's included the way it is and accepted as historical narrative is due to other parts of the Bible, 2 Kings specifically, um, one of the kings talking about the prophecies of Jonah, um, uh, what, what took place within those prophecies, recognizing him uh, as a prophet of Israel in that time period in the historical record, as well as Jesus referencing his story. Um, it's another one of those things that it can be, aspects of it can be up for interpretation. Did he actually get eaten by a whale? Did he not? Because some people view it as not being able to happen or not. Historically, there actually are records of that happening that have been documented, and that's a different part of the story. But I don't think that still discredits the message in the story, depending on if you're leaning one way or the other about that and the timing of it. And I do think prophets and stuff quote other scriptures that that could have been something that possibly happened. But So... Tonight, I want to leave you with this. We um, are developing um, something new, a discipleship tool for us to go through the Bible with a group of three, four other people that we're calling pocket groups. So if this is something that you feel like, hey, I'd love to be able to get into the Word, but I would love to do it with some other people, keep myself accountable. Um, pocket groups are going to be going through the Gospels one chapter a day and then discussing them with your group every week virtually. And it's a great way to be able to read the Bible in community, which is a great way to wrestle with things and question things and bounce different discussion points and ideas off of each other. So if you're interested in doing something like that, you can come and talk to us as well. Thank you so much, Pastor Stephen, for this opportunity. Yay. Also, if you have any questions at all whatsoever throughout your reading process, we are always available. You can always ask us questions. So good. Brad and Shelby. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week. <laughs>